What's up, everybody? You're listening to yet another edition of Cocaine Willie. I am your commissioner, Bob Trollsby, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, the good chef, Andre Napier, and Fireball Matt Marchstein. Tonight, we're going to, I mean, we're back. It's been a while. It's been a couple of weeks. Whoa, those are some crazy stuff happening on Matt's background there. Uh, But we're back with a vengeance as we discuss the K-State men's hoops team's big win at home against KU in the Sunflower Showdown hopefully turning the tides of the season after a rough four-game losing skid. And the ladies' team is coming off of back-to-back losses to Texas and Oklahoma and looks to rebound against the Oklahoma State Cow girls at Bramlage on Saturday. But we are on the uh, it's the day after KU, KU came into Bramlage, got absolutely taken to overtime, worn out. What I mean, what happened in that game? I went into it thinking that it was not going to be a very good matchup and that we were going to get shellacked. And whether that was the reverse jinx or me just being honest about how I felt about the cats at the time, did not think that the cats were going to win that matchup. So, I mean, I'm still riding high. How are you boys feeling after Sunflower Showdown round one? I was very confident. I mean, it's it's been written in the stars that I was the only one here that was confident and was not scared of KU at all. I wasn't. It's just, it all balances out. It's weird. 0-4 skids. I I heard it from everybody that this team is shit. And honestly, we were playing like it. But think about what this team was last year. There was a time at some point in the middle of, I think, either the end of January, beginning of February, where they lost four or five. And basically what happened after we beat KU, it was just we lost four or five. So maybe, like you said, uh, Bob, it this could be the tides turning. I'm hoping it's leaning that way and that it's just not a one-off because it's we have a workable schedule in this back half. What do you think, Matt? Mm. <laughs> um, I... I don't think I can compare this team to last year um, just because uh, like this team is just not even, it does not hit the stratosphere of anything close to an offense this season as to what we saw last season. I mean, I'm just being quite honest as the most pessimistic one in this group. And as someone who wore all black to this game, thinking we were getting murdered, it was quite a surprise to see a team really kind of take a take a positive step after a four game stretch that was quite frankly like a re- it was really really bad from an effort perspective what it looked like just watching these games right the Oklahoma game and the Oklahoma State game were just incredulously bad from an effort perspective at least what it looked like and so there Going into last night, I just I did not have any confidence in this team, which is maybe is not fair, but you also like as a fan, and we watch our teams pretty you know pretty consistently every single game. 
Also, I cannot fathom that you are doing a Rubik's Cube right now while recording this show. Um, it, like the confidence level in this team just was not there because they did not have a pulse offensively. And although on the defensive side, that's been kind of our saving grace in some games this season, but the effort and the ability to rebound and, and just all these things were coming together. And you just, you saw a team going into Monday where you didn't, I, although it's a rivalry game and all this stuff, there just wasn't, I didn't feel any momentum was in our way to try and win that game. So it, it was it was bad. I mean, yeah, it was, yeah. It, we, we could call a spade a spade and we can, you know, we had rants earlier in the year where we were scared, but we were still, you know, we only lost like two or three games or two games at that point. And we were going, cause we knew the potential of this team was high and we had expectations. So the rants were there because we wanted this team to do good. And then the, they kind of like Tang used it last year where they told on themselves and said that, and this year at the beginning of the Big 12 conference, we're four and one. The expectation is set. The bar is raised. People are have are coming out and saying things that, you know, aren't usually said for back-to-back years where are we going to compete? And Matt, you called it at the beginning. You said well, this could be a top third of the conference team. And then the wheels fell off. It was we knew we weren't talented enough on offense. And when you're not giving the effort, like you were saying, on defense, you weren't rebounding, and the turnovers are not going to get solved. People had every right to turn away from this team. But like you saw last night, when the things click, magic can happen. And, and if our three main guys are scoring and we're playing solid defense, and even if the bench comes out and contributes a little bit, we could beat anybody in the league. I I think that's fair. Um, you had mentioned a little bit ago about the schedule and what's to come. It, it really, I mean, at this point, we have to go. Um, we're what five and five in conference right now, so they're going to have to finish the rest of the season basically at five hundred. It's a tough. It's that's a very tough thing for me um, because of just some of the inconsistencies uh, that we see, and you can't expect Tyler Perry to have twenty six point games every night. Um, albeit the way I mean, that he plays in the second half, you don't, you never know. Um, and realistically, what did he do the last four games? Even even during the skids, he w- he's been putting up numbers. Yeah. They might be garbagey, hollow numbers. But he's, and for how bad people treat him online, he's still putting up, you know, 19, 16, 20, 26 points a, like every game. He's contributing, putting buckets. Is it efficient? And is he getting help? No, but he's still contributing. Now, is it the other guys that are going to do it? And I know I know what you're going to say, Matt. Will, will they do it? Yeah, I mean... We'll talk about the upcoming schedule probably here um, in a little bit, but um, this is going to be, it's going to be very hard. I think this schedule is um, it's albeit you win your home games, you're in a good position, but 
we have some good teams coming into Bramwich and we go on the road to some good, you know, some good teams too. So I, uh, it'll be a very interesting last uh, handful of games. I'm excited um, now because we won. If we lost, I would have been absolutely not excited about anything basketball related with the men, but KU man, that game was, uh, it was an incredible atmosphere. Um, and it's a classic Bramwich atmosphere, uh, you know, especially in a rivalry game like that. But um, when, when people come together like that and, you know, they're cheering for that team, there are, there are moments in my K-State kind of fandom, I guess, ever since I started going to school where there are individual games where the atmosphere, any team could have come in there and they would have lost. Um, I remember 2010, Jacob Pullen, uh, the Texas game, like number one team in the country came in and they lost. Literally, you could have thrown any team in there that night and they were going to lose that game. Um, there, there are handfuls of games where I see that. And this that atmosphere last night was one where I, I truly believe not many teams would have been able to walk in there and win, no matter the matchup, no matter what. Um, so it, you have to give a lot of credit to, to the students and, and to everybody who, I mean, just played a real big part in that. Is it repeatable? That type of atmosphere, like against, I mean, like this season, are we going to, are we going to see it again this season? I, you know, the Iowa state game, I think, especially it's the last game of the year, senior day, I think with what occurred in Ames there is going to be a lot of hatred in that building. The last game of the season. Um, Yeah. And um, it's, there's, it's quite possible because Iowa state could be a top 15 team still. Right. And so no matter who's coming in, you know, a top 15 team like that on a Saturday, fake Patty's day. Oh Lord. Jesus. It's going to be a (laughs) absolute disaster. Yeah, I was one thirty. They may not leave Manhattan alive. <laughs> they, they, Iowa State, it, like it's going to be a a festival in there, and it's not a good festival. Let me tell you. Um, I, it, I have, yeah. I, I have a question for the two of you. So, obviously, a four game losing skid. The team looked pretty awful at most points throughout that losing skid, and then you cap that off with a loss at Oklahoma state against the last place team in the conference. What did you like about the KU matchup where, you know, there there's obviously some things that had to get cleaned up because KU is a top five team. We're not just playing some slouches there. What did you like about what was cleaned up and, and specifically what do you think they focused on between the matchup and Stillwater and then the matchup uh, against KU? I think that first of all, we're not as bad as we showed. I mean, that wasn't a, I mean, just the culmination of the games before that Oklahoma State game led to a lot of uh, nastiness, but we're not as bad as that game. And KU is nowhere near as good as they were versus Houston uh, at home, where they shot 70% against arguably the the best team, uh, defensive team in the country. So, you know, things were going to have to balance out. Like there's no way they were going to be able to keep that. And we were not going to show up as bad as we had been playing. 
So what I liked, you know, they have a short bench. We don't have the deepest bench, but we can go into that bag. So if we could manage, uh, like McCullough was mostly the most important thing, I think, uh, in that game. We had to guard McCullough because we hadn't seen a big yet like Hunter Dickinson, but there's only really so much he can do. You know, the he's not going to get the transition buckets. He's not really a banger from three, so he's not getting those extra points, and he's not crazy physical where he's getting a ton of and one. So he takes 18 shots and gets 21 points. You kind of live with that. Like, you know he's going to get his numbers, but if you can hold him to a reasonable, like he's not dropping a 40 biscuit on you, and you guard McCuller, I think that's the recipe to beat KU because they don't really have anybody outside of that. You know, they have that stat with their point guard uh, where he's if he scores more than 10, they're basically undefeated. Uh, he's he's a good player, but, you know, he's not somebody that scares you on the offensive end. He gets a lot of stuff done on them for the facilitating in the defensive end. And then K.J. Adams, I mean, he's the he's a football player that plays basketball. so. And you held him to two rebounds. So what what more could it was the perfect storm, like Matt was saying. And we had the crowd behind us. So perfect game, in my opinion. I think if you look at it statistically, I still have no idea how how we won. And Why? when I and I look at it this way. Um I, the one thing that okay, uh, let me preface with this. If I looked at the stat sheet and I saw like one of the key things was rebounding. We are rebounded them by 10 in this game. I would have not expected that before. Um, we did a really good job from an offensive rebounding perspective of, you know, getting some key offensive rebounds. Um, you know, we had nine in the game. Um, but the piece that if we think of through the season, what has been a kind of a killer for us? It's been our three-point defense. And this game, KU went three for 15 in this game. And they, not that they live or die by the three, but they are a pretty good three-point shooting team. And defensively, we hit another level and trying to make sure that they did not have many uncontested three-point shots in this game. Um, so I just... There, there's a lot of things here. I, I mean, I think of the turnovers. Like, we're the worst turnover team in the country. It's not even close. It's, it is insane to me that you get into the mid-tier, like the middle part of Big 12 play, and you are not getting an improvement on the turnovers. And it's been a problem. I mean – the past four games, they've averaged, what, 16 turnovers a game. And that's not including the KU game. Like, 16 turnovers in this game. Like, yeah, I this team has the capability to be better. And they just can't get over the turnover hump. And that is what puts you in bad positions in games. What do you think those turnovers are, though? Because it's – I mean, there's – I think there's like maybe three or four turnovers that not count as KU game because that was 
the KU game was like there was a lot of live ball turnovers that you know kept KU in the game with you know that's how they got their run at the beginning of the the second half where they went on that 11-0 run and it stretched it out uh that's where the live ball turnovers kill you but like in other games I feel like it's a lot of just boneheadedness it's not like crazy turnovers it's like stepping out of bounds uh traveling like not live ball turnovers but it's just silly fundamental stuff which I think can get cleaned up the the live ball turnovers where teams we're trying to make passes that aren't there that's stuff that's hard to fix because our team is aggressive and tang lets the team play like he's gonna let you just go out there and you know if you see a pass like kaluma was for an, a good example for me where it's a pass that kaluma has in overtime will mcnair flashes to the paint he's wide open kaluma throws I don't know what kind of pass it was, but it hits so hard off the backboard. Like, it almost breaks the backboard. And it's confusing, but those are the aggressive passes that you want because he sees something. He sees what McNair flash. That's an easy bucket if he connects. It's a layup. But it's the passes aren't connecting. So how do you stop that? You, do you want them not to try to make those passes? Because that's when you get into trouble with Tyler Perry at the end of the shot clock because nobody's tried to make a a cut nobody's tried to make a pass nobody's done anything and he has to shoot it from 40 feet or throw a prayer hookup or something you know how to solve it every time there's a turnover during a scrimmage in practice you run fucking suicides i don't know how else you clean that up dude. our team would be dead they would die well, something's got to give because they turn it over all the time yeah but i think the obvious basketball i've ever seen it drives me bananas i think the numbers are conflated though because it's Conflated or inflated? Both. (laughs) (laughs) Inflated because you're gonna you're gonna get those turnovers where Will McNair travels, and they just it's a phantom travel. One, one of them was a phantom travel. He didn't travel, but they called it. So, what are you gonna do? I mean, how do you cut that out? He's don't travel. You're not gonna count that. You're not gonna count that. I wouldn't count it. If you are the worst turnover team in the country, you can't be saying that like it's phantom travels and shit. Some it's, of it it's is, though, be, dude, in my opinion. Be, I don't think it's inflated. Not from the basketball there, team I've been watching this year. It's like go back to the um what game were what game were, were we on the road? Oklahoma State. The very was that the one where we had a bunch of turnovers just like at the very beginning? We had a pretty decent start in that game. It was the Oklahoma game where we didn't score. I mean, we didn't score a point for the first 10 minutes in that game. Okay, that – And a lot of – See, but that, that – I mean, I'm just – You're getting shots up, but you're not turning the ball over, and you're still it, – It's. I think it's more play hard. Like, Cam Carter drives into the, the – I'm thinking of the Oklahoma State game. He drives at the very beginning of the game – and it's a fast break, but there's nobody running with him, so he kind of like throws it out of nowhere. That's a that's a turnover, but that's not that's solvable. Run harder, and you'll you'll get so you won't turn that ball over. I'm trying. I'm I'm for sure. You're trying to give the you're giving the benefit of the doubt, but it's I'm, still bad. I think these turnovers are turnovers that aren't going to kill you in the long run. That's why we're still in some of these games with the high turnover numbers. 
would you like to see us get shots up from these instead? Yeah, but you're not always going to, that's not possible. But you're also not, it's, you're not going to have a shooting night like you did last night every night either, because when you have a piss poor shooting effort and you're turning it over 16 times, you're not going to be in any ball game at that. That's point. fair. That's fair. And, and with turnovers, it also, you have to look at the other team as well. If you turn the ball over in an, in an opportune spot and they get That's a transition a live, opportunity, live ball turnover. that is, I mean, Kansas yesterday had, I believe 25 points off turnovers in that game. I think it was 21. Was it 21 or 25? Okay. It, it, it doesn't matter. That's a lot. Doesn't That's matter. a lot. That's a lot. That's what I'm, so like in these games, the number of turnovers is directly giving the other team opportunities to, to take advantage of a transition bucket. And those add up. Over sometimes time. though, that's only sometimes look at the, go to the box score for Texas tech. That was a 59 to 60 game. I think that's what the final score was. We had just as many turnovers in that as the KU game, but they weren't live ball turnovers. They're the traveling. They're the throwing it out of bounds. They're the, yes, that's so you can have that many turnovers and still be in a game and not have to shoot. Well, it's all dependent on what kind of it's the effort ones. Like if you're driving into the lane and you get fouled, but they don't call it and it goes out of bounds, that's a turnover, but you're not going to say that's a turnover. In my opinion, that's a good possession. It just didn't end the way you wanted it to. That's basketball. For me, that's basketball. You live with some turnovers. It is, is, but turning the ball over means you have to be better in other areas to make up for those turnovers. And from an offensive perspective, we are, this team is not in a position to give up these turnovers and be good offensively. I mean, you could think, hey, we scored 75 points in this game last night. Like, and, there, this was a, a game where the offense did produce in some big moments in this game, but it is quite, it, I mean, it's quite easy to see every game that this team needs a pure passer at point guard. The misses on pick and roll in the offense, the vision is not there. The vision is not there. The passing is not crisp, getting it inside. Some of the lineups, I just wonder. I mean, I I struggle with, I've said this before, I struggle with David Gasson in the game with Will McNair. And you see it in a game last night where David Gasson is not an outside shooter. And so KU can play defenders closer to the paint. And so that doesn't allow your guards to get as much opportunity inside to maybe get a layup in there, you know, be aggressive inside because in many cases they're double teamed out there. And if you pass it out to Gasson, he's not necessarily, I mean, he took one three last night, but there just isn't, there isn't a lot of opportunity out there for him to score. And so the lineup yesterday, having Jarrell Colbert in there, I think changes the game a little bit. I thought Will McNair was pretty good because he's a big body and he was very aggressive with Hunter Dickinson, but Jarrell Colbert, and even though from a stat, you could look at a stat sheet and wonder, okay, he was a huge, huge player last night 
against Hunter Dickinson. And I felt that him being in the game gave a little bit more openings for everybody else because on the inside, I mean, I, I feel like he's a more athletic player. He's a little bit quicker. And I think if we had a pure passer at point guard, you would see him more successful in the pick and roll than we've seen him all year. I really do. I, I agree. He's a he's a definite lob threat on the pick and roll. I feel like if we had a, a, a player that could get off of those screens and get to the lane where it forces the defense to have to pick between the layup on the help side instead of, you know, kind of not having to do anything because the trail defender doesn't have to help because the primary guy on the ball screen is getting in there. It it would help, but we don't have that guy. I think Cam Carter should be the primary ball handler, but his when he's the primary ball handler, he's seeking for his own shot. He's not looking to facilitate. I think Tyler Perry does good a uh, does do a good job facilitating, but I think it takes away from his game, which is another score. Uh, because you see in the second half, he's not looking to facilitate. He's trying to get that ball and he's trying to put it in the hoop, which is good for us. But I will say this about David Gasson, because I'm not going to take the David Gasson slander. We have to have him out there. He's arguably the second best defender on the team. Like, you know, you're going to, you got to give some to get some because you can't have David Gasson out there airballing threes, but he is out there doing work on the defensive end, which helps because of the length. He's basically another damn near seven footer in there in terms of length to help in the post, to help reject, and he helps on the perimeter. I I think you gotta have David Gasson in there. He's he's instrumental to this team, but it's just he he did a lot of good stuff driving the ball, I thought, uh in this game, especially because they were laying off him so much that he could kick it out. He could do things. I think one of the Cam Carter threes was off of a David Gasson drive. This team will find its way. I, I just it's, we've got the pieces. It's just I don't know. It's it's the fact of the matter is the offense that I they have been instilling it in it this year is not a fit for the current personnel that are on this team. I think day day Ames could be that. I think day day Ames could be that, but he turns the ball over. Yeah, he's a and he's a he's freshman young. point guard. He's a freshman point guard. He turns the ball over, so the trust isn't there to be able to run that entire offense. Despite the fact that I think if you kind of play him by, play him by fire, trial by fire, it could the risk could definitely be the reward could definitely be bigger than the risk. Um, yeah, but it it's it's all about the personnel. And, and what they have, um, you know, Glover was probably going to be that more of a point uh, of kind of a passer. Um, he would even just with him, even just with him in there, you know, that like I see, I can see the vision of wanting to put this offense together and it's the personnel right now doesn't match probably the vision that they have, but last but night, you know was, what, but you know what, ain't none of them guys coming back. Ain't none of them going to strap it up. So we got what we got. And I think it's good enough to win. I think it's an NCAA team. 
It's a tournament team, in my opinion. We've got some listener questions on that, so let's table this for now. I do have some points that I want to revisit when we start talking about kind of the three big guys on the team, but I want to talk a little bit more about the upcoming matchup. So this Saturday, we've got BYU. We're on the road in Provo. BYU is currently number 21st in the country. They are 16-5 and overall with a 4-4 four and four record in conference. And then after that, next week, we're playing TCU. Uh, that's going to be at the Bram as opposed to on the road. Uh, and they are also 16-6 and six with a 5-4 and four record in the conference. I need to double-check that. But What um, uh, day of the week is BYU? Is that BYU Saturday? is Saturday, and TCU is Saturday. So we've got a break in between the two. Big yeah, 12. we are like we are. We have played a lot of games, haven't we? Yeah. Chef, are you getting are you getting ready for that uh, that 10 p.m. tip Eastern time on Saturday? That's gonna be tough. You know, luckily I am a mailman, so we don't deliver on Sunday, so I can stay up. I don't mind. <laughs> I don't mind it. But anyway, thinking about those two matchups, what are you looking for when we go on the road against a BYU team that kind of lives and dies by the three? And then the following week, we can maybe talk about the TCU game in more depth next week. So let's focus on BYU for now. Yeah, I think BYU is our sole focus, and you said it. And Matt brought it up earlier. Uh, well, well, to my point, you know, Saturday we got BYU, and they live, like you said, and die by the three. You know, at home, they've – it's been hit or miss. You know, they're not the best home – as much as we've talked up the home court advantage BYU has – they haven't been the most dominant home team this season. You know, Cincinnati came in there, spanked them. Uh, who else went in there? Houston came in there and spanked them. Houston's a different animal. But on in those games, they're not firing from the three and not hitting them. If they're not hitting them, you got a chance. Matt, you brought up earlier our defense versus KU from the three-point line. Will we be able to run them off of that line and force them to, you know, facilitate to uh, people in the paint that aren't the greatest finishers? I think that's the strategy. I hope that's what happens. I think you can't get into a track meet with them. If you can get where it's possessions are limited and they're, you know, firing these threes and you're controlling the glass, dude, you could you could sneak a road win. A huge ranked road win. I'm confident in this game because, well, it depends on what happens tonight. Because I think they play, do they play tonight or tomorrow? They play tonight versus Oklahoma, which is a really big, really big game. So if BYU, like I said, the balancing, if, if they're firing tonight and they're hitting threes, I got a feeling that we could see a little lull in their three-point shooting. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I don't know what channel the game's on. I'll put it on, but I'm feeling confident. BYU threes. I called them the uh, the more religious Duke. That's what I called them with lower academic standards. That's a that's a fair comparison. I've heard that comparison. Oh, my God. Like Duke, um, Duke. Look, I'm, uh, I'm going to definitely go into that game thinking we're losing by like 20. Um, there's a couple reasons. One, I think for everything that happened yesterday, there is a potential for a letdown. And I do think they're a bad matchup for us. Um, 
three point shooting aside, um, you know, as you said, they've lost two games at home. I think the Cincinnati game was a little bit of a fluke. Um, just my reason being they did have an off night that night and I just felt, was, I, I mean, I was I not a watching fluke. that game. <laughs> I, look, I I'm pulling up the stats on this game, but I remember watching this game. Like BYU went 13 for 46 in that game on threes. Like, well, that's so many threes. <laughs> that's so many threes. They went 13 for 46 behind the arc in that game. Insane. Um, and I look, I, I just have a bad, I don't know. I just think I feel like it's a letdown game. Um, BYU is a tough place to play, despite Chef. Like, yes, they've lost two games, and yes, they lost to Houston. We can check that one off, but um, that's a, a tough place to play. I mean, on the road this season, this is probably the toughest environment, right? Oh no, you know what? Houston was that was a tough place to play. Um, that we've that we've know. witnessed so far. I mean, Ames? I think Tech was. I think Tech was a a big yeah Tech. Tech Ames. and Ames and Ames. Hilton was crazy. Hilton oh, was took, nuts. I took I took Ames out of my head because they don't deserve any brain cells. <laughs> Fuck. Um, Ironically, yeah. in the game right now that you're you've already that the people that are listening already have seen and you know saw all these stats. BYU's only taking 12 threes. Oklahoma's taking 19. Kind of nuts 40, that they're 42 for 42-41, huh? Yeah, so we'll see what happens. I mean, do you, I, I'm just not convinced that the home court advantage is all that for BYU. I mean, I guess they have a really big stadium that they pack out. I, but I mean, I think the other thing to think about is in the Big 12 this season, how tough it has been to win on the road. Yeah, it's true. For every team. True. I mean, I – I'm not – I mean, yes, yesterday's game proves that they have the capability to compete against any team in the country. And I just – on the road this season has not been friendly. Not not just us, but, the, I mean, most teams Anybody. in the Big 12. Um, so I don't have a lot of confidence just because <laughs> it's, a, it's a road game in the Big 12. It's a of road game in the Big 12. I got a question uh, for both do. of you. I got a question okay. for both of you. You know, damn, hold on. I kind of forgot what I was going to ask you. Oh, uh, that's Rubik's, what I was going to ask you. Gotcha. No. BYU, Cincinnati, UCF, Houston. I think Houston is a different animal than those other three. But do we see the grind of the Big 12 start to hit any of these teams? Because, you know, UCF is kind of a pleasant surprise. Cincinnati as well. I mean, they're 500 in the conference, I think. So do we see a wall get hit by any of these teams, especially for a team like BYU that has to – the travel is kind of kicking their asses a little bit? I mean, UCF too and Cincinnati. But do, do we see the wall for these teams get hit? I think it depends. I think I, we'll, we'll find out. I don't think we have any idea if it will or not. Right. It, They've, they've never played a conference schedule as grueling as this any of these teams have. No. Uh, 
yeah, I I don't know. I'm kind of in wait and see mode with that. It didn't really UCF, happen. For the yeah. football teams. That's what that's UCF. what I was gonna bring up. If Sorry anything, that, those football teams got better throughout the season, but I think so. That's what I thought. You know, we were talking football season last year, and you know, bringing up these teams whether they would have the the numbers and the the athletes to compete night in and night out in a power conference. I think these basketball teams and the football teams have proven that you know they have horses as well. I just I just wondering if it if you know because we're ha- we're more than halfway through, but will the wall be hit because a team that shoots so much, the legs can kind of go out on a team like BYU. You know, you live and die by the three, but that's a lot of shots to get up. And those are, and they play fast too. So it's, will the wall be hit? I, I kind of hope that we, that we see the first little crumblings of it in Provo when K-State goes to the town. I mean, college basketball is a more parody type sport. Um, where upsets occur more frequently. Um, I think of a team like UCF, the fact that we played them the first game of the year, they looked absolutely abysmal. And since then have obviously beaten KU. Um, You know, they beat Texas, um, beat Oklahoma. They have a tough schedule. I believe so in their next nine games, they play Texas Tech twice. They play Iowa State and Houston, but they get Iowa State and Houston at home. Um, That's a team that could definitely kind of probably recede a little bit. Um, But the way that the Big 12 looks this season, I mean, again, it's hard. It really is. And truthfully, I don't think we're going to actually see how good the Big 12 is until we get to the NCAA tournament because um, we're not getting this, a one seed unless well, Houston does it. I look watching Houston in person, um, and I mean in a majority of their games this season, uh, they they are very much a team that can make the Final Four because of how good their defense is. Um, and they have guys that can go off and, and make shots. But that defense is really, really good. Um, I would be shocked if they were not in the – like, I would be shocked, number one, if they didn't make the Elite Eight. But I think they're a Final Four team. I would put them in my Final Four. Um, and the rest of their schedule, the schedule the rest of the season for Houston is, I mean, they at home they get Texas, Iowa State, Cincinnati and KU, and then they go on the road to Cincinnati, Baylor, will be a tough game, Oklahoma, and UCF. Oh, that like, sounds like a murderer's row. What are you talking about? No, that sucks. That does not. That, I <laughs> are mean, you kidding? Who has a tougher you, schedule than that? I, that seems – I would rather – I feel like what? his point was more about the fact that they got so many of those hard teams at home, like Texas, KU. Yeah. I mean, and then they're only Texas is team. not what? No, Texas is not Texas. What are they? Three I mean, and getting, six in the conference? They're getting beat by Iowa State, but bad on a good they, night. They're better than anybody else in the conference. On a bad night, they they're on a bad night. They're as bad as Oklahoma State. That doesn't. I, I, this is the thing. I was going to say this that you know, you know, thir- 
12th place is what two games out of first it's been 14th you know, 14th place is two or four yeah two three i forget i think we only had what do we have 14 teams in the conference 14th, I think it's 14th place is two and a half games behind us we are only one and a half games behind first place i think right. four games four but games what i was saying was 12th 12th is literally two games out of first yeah so it's 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 been a level playing field. Everybody can beat everybody. Like Matt was saying, he's nervous about these road games, but that's what, if you sneak one out, you get one of these road victories. Dude, that helps so much. I don't know. We're not going to, I don't know if we're going to talk resume tonight uh, because it is very sad times for K-State. You know, we're the next of the next of the next four out. So I don't know if you want to talk about it, but, Road wins help so much, especially a team like BYU because their net ranking is absurd. So, I don't know. I'm looking forward to Saturday, and I got my toes and my fingers crossed. Well, we can't talk resume. So, K-State's record's 15-8, and 5-5 five and five in the conference. You're seventh in the Big 12, barring whatever changes happen tonight. One and a half games separate K-State from Houston at the top, and then two and a half games separate them from 14th place with Oklahoma State, who has, what, a one and eight record, one and seven record in the conference. So 72nd in Ken Palm, 79th in the net. Those are real bad numbers when you're talking tournament, selection committee, that kind of stuff. You're two and three in the quad one. Those two quad one wins we all know are Baylor and KU right now. You're four and four in the quad two, three and one in quad three, and six and zero oh in, in quad four. But when you look at the resume at a glance, it doesn't look great. When you see the wins come against Baylor and KU, okay, fantastic. But then you get shellacked by Houston, you get beat by Oklahoma State, and you've got some bad losses on there, is what I'm getting at. So, I. <laughs> How do you, how are you feeling about the resume and and on when selection Sunday happens? What are we doing when we look at our watches after the selection show and we're like, oh, I guess they went through all sixty eight picks. If if you know we're not in the field, I'm praying that you know we're in Dayton. Selfishly, selfishly, and and this is my thing, you know. Tang said nine and nine get you in the tournament. I think could you find nine wins on the on the schedule and get you into the tournament? It would be what would our record be? What would it be nineteen and nineteen and twelve? Yeah, nineteen and twelve. Okay, so let's say that. Then you got the and if you're nineteen, if you're nine and nine in the conference, you're not getting the first four by in the Big Twelve uh, tournament. Those games help. So if you win maybe two in the Big 12 tournament, I think you're a tournament team. But you can't you can't go nine and nine and then lose in the first round of the Big 12 tournament and expect to get in. I always forget about the conference tournament implications on the selection committee. Yeah, that helps so much, and you you kind of as bad as we were at the beginning and all the losses that you have. It's it's a double-edged sword because you don't want to be like middling to where you don't get to play a certain amount of games in the Big 12 tournament and then have to play one of the top dogs and to get knocked out in the first. 
So it's 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 weird. It's just a weird conundrum to be in. But I I think our resume, if we nine and nine, I believe in what Tang says. Maybe uh, Lenardi doesn't believe in what Tang's saying, but I believe. I got crazy faith. Apparently so. I mean, uh, so the last nine games we have, as of right now, um, four of those games are against ranked opponents. So we played BYU twice at KU and Iowa State. Um, obviously, if we win our home games, that would mean we beat two top 25 teams um, who are high in the net, which is helpful. Um, really, on the rest of our schedule, the worst games would be West Virginia at home and at Cincinnati. Um, you really have to find games at this point that don't kill you. You know, what are the games that are not going to kill you? Um, and play your cards right. So, I mean, obviously, like, look, if you went on Saturday, that's a huge, that's a huge piece of this puzzle. Um, I don't think it's, I, I just don't, I don't know, but um, <laughs> I I don't have a lot of faith right now in um, making the NCAA tournament. Uh, I think they're just, the Oklahoma State loss is a really glaring, glaring loss, even though it's on is the road. It, it's, I don't, I'm not buying that. One reason. I think the Oklahoma State loss is not nearly as bad as what the USC loss is. That's probably accurate. So I think people are freaking out about the Oklahoma State loss. I think we need to be freaking out about the USC loss before we worry about the Oklahoma State loss. Because I think Miami, Miami's not looking good either. And Miami, what, they just got beat by Virginia and they scored the fewest points they have in like 50 years or something. Yeah, that was – they scored 38. That was tough, you know. Our our good wins – are not looking like good wins and our losses that we thought were like decent losses are turning into like not great losses. So that's where I'm kind of hesitant on the nine and nine. Uh, but it's, I don't know. Cause, because you want to schedule tough in the non-con, but at this point you're kind of just like, maybe you should schedule teams that suck because they, it's what getting, Iowa State did. That's why their net ranking and Ken Palm and everything is so inflated. Because you eat the shit out of all these teams and no, like I don't know, fucking bumfuck Montana State or something. You're dependent on like these teams that you think that you hold in such high esteem, and then they fucking start. They don't carry their weight and they suck. So now it just hurts you even more. I don't know. I mean, the thing is with these non-con games, those happen in November, and albeit you look at an entire resume, there's a lot of recency bias with it too, right? Of course. Um, and so that's why when I say games that could hurt us in the last nine or eight games that we have, it, you know, there's two games that could really put a nail in the coffin. And if you lose it, you lose at home to West Virginia, that's bad. Um, you're on the road to Cincinnati. Cincinnati's a pretty good team. I mean, they're not as good as some of the other ones that we're going to be playing, but um, you know, like it would be really nice to win that one. Um, there, you know, we don't have another Oklahoma state game that we got to worry about or anything like that. Um, I mean, I think you just take, 
you have the cards, you have your cards right now and you got to figure out, okay, you know, if, if it's nine and nine in conference, I'll assure you, we're going to be hearing a lot of Jerome Tang the week of selection because he's going to be playing off the big 12 card very much the entire week and hope that that card and the respect of the conference sticks. I think if you go 10 and eight, you go 10 and eight, that is going to make you feel a little bit better, but the nine and nine, I like people are like, he continues to say nine and nine and you have to respect that because this is yes, the toughest conference in America, but quite frankly, I don't see a nine and nine record and think, Oh yeah, we're in. I just don't. I don't think it's like last year, like West Virginia got in what eight and 10. Like mm-hmm. I just, I don't see it. My um, thing is for the selection, how do they divide it up? Because USC, this, this is what I go back to. USC was our first game and you lose and they were top 10, like top 15 in the country at the time. How did, how can you knock? the team that lost to them and then like retroactively like go four months in advance and say, you know, that was a pretty bad loss. Well, not at the time. Like how, (laughs) how do we do? You just said, you just said it was the worst loss. Right now. No, I'm doing it because that's how, that's how I think, but like, it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't, but it is. Yeah. I mean, it, you're absolutely right. And I mean, here's the thing, like it's a, it's a committee that uses analytics and the eye test and things along those lines to make decisions. Right. And that's why from a recency bias perspective, like games that are occurring in March at the end of big 12 play going into the conference tournament, those are going to be games that you're going to probably see a little bit more of a buzz about. Um, you know, but we're in the, they're in the room and they're looking at, oh yeah, you know, USC is nine and 13 right now. That's he'll, he's obviously going to be getting fired, but like, at the, it, sure. At the time, like you scheduled it, you're not expecting that. Um, but that's, that's why the end of the big 12 play, this is an important stretch and you have to try and find ways to differentiate yourself. Right. And, um, so it's going to be important, like. You gotta, you know, you win your games at home, then yeah, you put yourself in a conversation for nine and nine. But I, I don't think nine and nine is gonna get them in. I don't. They'll need some help. Like they'll have to have a run in the Big Twelve tournament. Crazy Faith won nine and nine. You're on the bubble, I think, depending on who you beat. Because it depends on what nine. I mean, depends on what four other games we get. Are we getting our home ones? Because our home ones are BYU, West Virginia, uh, West Virginia. They TCU, stink. They TCU stink. And Iowa State. That would be a good win. So two good wins at home, and then the rest are losses on the road to pretty good teams. It's tough. It's it's so hard to figure out what. What combination is the best losing, for you? Yeah. Because you don't want to lose oh the West God. Virginia at home. Then it's like, oh, no. Am I back? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Oh. Am I back? 
Am I back? You better be. You better be. I'm I'm here. I don't know. I don't know what I was going with. I'm just trying to figure out what the best situation for the team is. I think yeah. yeah. We could debate it all day, but why don't we get to a fun part? Yeah. Let's get to the listener questions. So we have a question from at Wild Zeus. Who's K-State's <laughs> most reliable big? All three seem to have their great moments, but there are offensive shortcomings when different combinations of them are on the court due to none of them being able to shoot. That's something mm. Matt was kind of alluding to with kind of the scheme when you have what? What was it? Will McNair and Jarrell Colbert out there? David Gasson. No, Will, Will and David, David Gasson. So who's the most reliable big man? Because statistically you would look at it and it would be David Gasson. But I liked your point earlier, Matt, about how Jarrell Colbert, he doesn't show up on the stat sheet as much, but he's pretty reliable to do what I would equate to in football and defense, kind of creating havoc, for lack mm-hmm. of a better way to put it on the, on the basketball court. So he's not showing up, but he's getting blocks against guys like Hunter Dickinson as well. I thought that was a nasty block that happened last night. But who's the most reliable big man? I, I would say I would say David Gasson because you know what you're going to get from him on the defensive end. Uh, offensively, he's good around the basket, obviously. Terrible shooter. Pretty uh, subpar free throw shooter, so that's not great. But Will McNair has the statistics in Big, Big 12 play, but he is also a walking turnover. And uh, his means of getting points is back to the basket, Shaquille O'Neal, uh, right jump hook without the explosiveness. Uh, he's not a great rebounder, uh, especially on the offensive end. And defensively, he's the worst of all the th- of the three you just named. So I think Jarrell Colbert's probably second. If I had to rank them, it would go David Gasson, Jarrell Colbert, Will McNair. But I I know why they play Will Will McNair. But in my opinion, he is third. I hate this question because um like there it's it's the reliable piece. Like if this was who's the best one, my answer would be different. Um I I would probably agree with you. I think David Gasson is probably our most reliable oh bye chef. Uh David Gasson's probably our most reliable big man. Um you mentioned on the the defensive end. Um you know, he is a great defender or a great defender, but he is very, very good on the rebounding piece, um, which is helpful, um, especially when you do try and kind of run, you know, the type of offense where we don't make shots very often. So, uh, you know, having a guy who can do or, you know, can be a very good offensive rebounder is always helpful. Um, I, Gerald Colbert is a guy that I, understand you know he's still kind of getting in the grand scheme of things he's getting into the game um he's one that i'm excited to see how he can develop going into 2024 um is he a guy that could even develop a little bit maybe of an outside shot and you could really truly run this this kind of out offense to where you know, he could be a threat outside. Um, I'm not saying he's Naquan Tomlin by any means, and I don't think you're going to get a guy like that. But, you know, with the length and, you know, he looks like he's a guy who can move with the basketball and he's got some pretty good passing shops. Um, you know, I think he's the up-and-coming guy we could look out for, but I'll say David Gasson on this one. 
Chef, what are you drawing there? You, I didn't. I didn't realize we had Woody Page on the podcast tonight. Oh, oh, it's a cat. Oh, it's a cat. That's cute. Um, so next question comes from at Coach underscore C five Danny Collins to chant or not to chant FKU thoughts on the infamous chant making a return to the octagon. I'll start. I don't care if we chant it or if we do chant it. I hate KU. I've chanted fuck KU in the past many, many, many times. I chanted it at my wedding. I am very pro fuck KU in the right circumstances, but if coach Tang wants to get rid of it, stick with coach Tang. I respect him. I want to keep him around. If it keeps him happy, it's great. And you know, you can have a debate about classiness or whatever, but I mean, I don't really care either way. Every other team in the conference is chanting fuck K-State when they when we play them on the road. So, you know, shout out to Ames and Lubbock, I guess. <laughs> I'm I'm all for it um, versus KU. I think it should only be used in instances where we're playing that team. So if we're playing KU – Drop the FKU, in my opinion. But, you know, like you said, keep Tang happy. He's a he's a purist. He doesn't like that. I, I don't blame him. Uh, for the people that are all up in arms about, like, uh, the kids are – what about the children? Uh, it's Monday at 9 p.m. local time on, <laughs> on Monday. They got school tomorrow. They shouldn't be at the game. They should be at home sleeping. So. Wow. Chef's not the fun dad. I can see there. Not bringing his kids to the game. <laughs> I don't have anything to add. Let the college students do whatever they want and, and just go from there. Yeah, Danny. Danny asks two more questions. The first one: realistic goals for a successful men's basketball season. I'd say nine and nine in conference play, and even if you miss the tournament, you make a run in the NIT. I would say that's a relative success. I, I disagree. I think it should be conference. Uh, uh, NCAA tournament or bust. Uh, I'm not a fan of the NIT for this team because there was high praise. Uh, and I think they've shown what they can be, even with, you know, lacking pieces or whatnot. I think the tournament is what we should be striving for. So for me, nine and nine conference play, a win in the Big 12 tournament, that gets you to 20 and probably a loss in the Big 12 tournament. So that gets you to 20 and 13 overall. Give it to me. If they don't make the NCAA tournament, I'll be really disappointed because uh, with the talent and the guys you brought in, kind of some high-profile guys, the expectation is like you're going to compete in conference to make the NCAA tournament. Just my thought. Realistic Absolutely. goal, they got to make the NCAA tournament, 100%. And there's nothing better than seeing the cats on like, you know, TBS or – TNT or, or you know, true true TV or true, true TV. TV. I mean, it's nothing better than you know, kicking up on my birthday and watching the Cats versus a a, a Sun Belt team or something like that. Oh, probably that'd be the- even fucking worse. No, we need to be playing Wake Forest or. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not, we are not playing a Sun Belt team in the. Give me a mid-tier Pac-12 or ACC team any day. Dude, I think there's only only going to be like one or two teams from the Pac-12 that might make it. I don't think there – there I might should only be one. Arizona, Arizona. might be the only one. Oregon's well, UCLA. This year. It, what's UCLA up to? No, they suck. They're not good. <laughs> anyway, 
Uh, last question from Danny. Why do you think not storming the court? Why do you think? What do you think not storming the court means as a program? I loved it. Expect to win. I also love it. I think I've had plenty of good court stormings in my day and, and enjoyed them very thoroughly. But I do think there's something to be said for what Tang said last year. He said, I'm going to get you one court storming, but from now on, you should expect to win as a program. Elevate, as Chef writes that down on his whiteboard behind him. So I'm a big fan of not storming the court for those reasons, because I think it it makes you and everybody was kind of raving about it today, like Barstool Sports and all these other accounts were like, whoa, the K-State assistants were telling students not to storm the court. They should like they should realistically expect to win these games. So I like it. I think it gives us some good publicity and it, I think it makes the program look like it's more prominent when you look at it from the outside a little bit. I, I think it's fun either way. You know, I the win is going to happen. They're going to talk about the win no matter what. I think you're going to see there's less criticism if you don't storm the court. If you storm the court, you know, people like, you know, Super Bowl, this, that, or the other. But either way is fun for me because I, I like the, the look of a good court storm, especially if it's done right. Uh, get the get the opposing team off of the court, all that stuff. Delay it by 15 seconds. Who gives a shit? But I, I like I like the look of a good court storm, though. It does look good. I like it. It's fun. Like college kids have fun. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, I think the <clears throat> the way that Tang talks about this makes it look like a, a little bit of a long game of what he's trying to build. And um, he knows what this program has had in the past. Um, and he knows he, he sees a vision for what he wants it to be into the future. And, you know, is it I mean, is it a heavy aspiration to think that you want your program to basically be a blue blood. That's kind of what, you know, when he's saying this, that's what he's picturing. Um, and so there's definitely excitement as a fan because you have somebody who believes that you can bring that type of thought process to Kansas state. Um, and this is probably one of those first steps. You have to have people, you have to have your fan base excited about these wins, but not thinking that, Oh, it's always an upset, you know, that's the mindset. And, um, you know, you have to have a fan base, I guess, that always believes we win every game. So I'm doing a really terrible job at that. But um, I, you know, I thought, I, I, I thought it was good yesterday that we did not storm the court because he had said you get one and you know, the, the push at the end of that game was like, don't do it. Don't do it. And they were, the coaching staff was like, don't do it. And everybody listened. I mean, truthfully, I feel like that's the big deal out of the whole thing is like they told them not to do it and they didn't do it. So, yeah. I always took it as one a season, but, you know, whatever. No, I took it as, okay, this is the last court storming that's happening while I'm here. Yeah. No yeah. more. Anyway, moving on to the next question. So you already mentioned this, Matt, but 
Uh, this comes from my third cousin, Tyler Manis. Shelby wants to know how many of you guys thought we were actually going to win versus KU. I'll just quickly answer that. Chef was the only one that thought we were actually going to win against KU. <laughs> and the next, the next submission comes from Kyle Reynolds. Matt didn't believe we could win. And yes, he is he is correct about that. Not a In question, though, Kyle. Period. Period. <laughs> Not a question, though, Kyle. So period. ask us a question next time. The next question comes from Thomas Devaney. Percent chance you would give the cats to make the tournament? Unbiased and biased answers. I would say just give one answer and listeners can guess whether it's biased or unbiased. But I'm going to say 12%. I thought I was going to be low. I was going to say twenty five percent. I think there's a twenty five percent chance. I think, I think we're at like fifty. I think it's a fifty fifty shot. We're in the best conference in America. We have every opportunity. We have eight games versus you know five. I think you said it earlier. I don't know how many ranked teams, but we have opportunity. Just got to seize them. If you get two road wins versus ranked teams. In this, in this next eight games, chalk it up. We're in there. All right, all right. The next question comes from Pete. Pete, y'all, fourteen. Why can't Kevin, why can't Kevin McCuller make free throws? This is I'm actually my this is my co this is my coworker who went to KU. Actually, oh. I saw this come through. You know, I don't know why he can't. All things considered, he's like an 81% free throw shooter, and he went one for five last night. So here, the crazy thing, so I had all these bets parlays yesterday, and every single one I put Kevin McCuller to score under 17.5 points because last year he had the worst game in Bramlage of his entire time at KU in that game, and I was like, he is not stepping foot in this arena and had scored more than 18 points. And I'm $160 richer. So thanks. Kevin, if Kevin went on the one and one, I would have lost all that ball money. knower. He's a ball knower. Ball uh, knower. I think I think, you know, the atmosphere contributed to the free throw line. I always think uh I, I, I think the free throws are, it's a finicky thing. You know, I'm playing in a men's rec league on Sundays and uh, we're three and two now. Uh, didn't have my best performance last game. And the free throw line is a tough place to be, especially on one and ones, because you know that thought, if I miss this first one, I don't get another one. It's always a little tough. It always ratchets you down, hurts a little bit. So Kevin McCuller, he just doesn't have the clutch gene. I want to ask, just a quick question off of this. Uh, how do we feel about, like, I feel like student sections being at the end, like, at the end's, like, baseline. I always like that for the free throw aspect, like, waving stuff around or, like, doing crazy shit. Only like, for the free throws, though. That's the only place where it comes in handy, I would say. Yeah, that's true. That is true. I do like, but where the student section for K-State, it's humongous. Awesome. So I do, I do like that a lot. But I the look of a baseline free throw uh, long way where you're seeing the students. It's, it's really cool. I would be curious to hear Matt's opinion on this because you've been to more of these stadiums than I have. Like I'm, I'm thinking about the Moody center, the foster pavilion in uh, Waco, as well as Fertitta center in Houston. Some of those stadiums that have that lower bowl. And I know for sure at Baylor in Texas, 
they have it kind of wrap around the entire first tier. Do you like that for student sections or do you think it makes more sense to have either the way K-State has it where you're along the, the kind of the sideline or in the end zones, like Chef is saying, for free throws, things like that? Um, I mean, I think the way that Houston and Baylor and Texas have done it is allows for them to still make money on premium seating, but still trying to provide a little bit of an atmosphere. Um, ultimately, at K-State, we are very lucky with how the university and the athletic department has really rewarded students by giving them the best seats. That was when I was working for K-State, that was the big pitch when we talked about it. Um, of You have the best seats. I mean, you're sitting, and I think it's a huge advantage. Um, I really do. Um, you know, free throws only occur small portions of the game, but when Ask you're Iowa able State to project... That. I know, but you're able to project. You have a, a large population projecting their voices directly at the middle of the court like that. That is a huge, that's a huge momentum piece. So, um, I, I mean, K-State, I, I think, is very smart in how they do it. But, um, you know, at Houston, it got pretty loud. In the Baylor game, you know, when I went for the women's game, I mean, they had a good student population there. And it was, it was loud in that arena for 5,000 people. So. Um, I think that's a good middle ground, but we're pretty fortunate. I feel like it's regional. I feel like it's regional too. Cause like, I feel like most big 10 schools are baseline, uh, student sections. Uh, yeah. Cause I know, I know Ohio state Schottenstein, they have a lot of their student sections on the baseline. Um, yeah. Well, if you want another Texas school that does the, the baseline, that's TCU. They've got the Jamie Dixon, like weird, thing yeah, arm, arms or whatever what are those marionette yeah. <laughs> that's sloth <laughs> why oh you think he looks like sid from ice age he looks like a sloth he does i that's you know i hair. i never why does he look all the... oh, he always looks wet <laughs> he just took the sh- took a shower you know it's i always took him for like a mobster so i feel like he should yeah. be coaching out like St. John or... Uh, yeah, I get like a Calipari, Patino kind of vibe from him. Yeah. Not so, a Texas boy. Yeah, so this one's from Dylan Stoss. For the future, how do you see David Castillo fitting in with Cam, Day-Day, RJ, and Dorian Finister? I think he's going to be fucking awesome. You know, the problem is um, our fan base is, you know, they're passionate. So... You saw what Day Day Ames, he was a, a top 125 kind of, you know, player. He was an elite ball handler in high school. And he makes the 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 turn into being a freshman at K-State. It's not there. It's not there yet. He still has to develop. So are we expecting David Castillo to be a lottery type player and control this offense like he's a six-year senior with a COVID year? I don't see how that's going to be possible. So he's going to have some growing pains. And if people, if people are this, you know, he has the, he has the uh, expectations coming in that he has similar to what Tyler Perry was expected to do. And Tyler Perry for a lot of people haven't delivered on that. So if David Castillo doesn't deliver on being the savior at point guard, 
I hate to see what they do to the kid. <laughs> wow. I expected to hear that from my voice, but you said I, that. that's not um, me. I'm I know what I'm gonna I expect him to be awesome and you know, averaging ten points and four assists with a two to one ratio assist to turnover. I will live with that from a freshman point guard, which what I expect him to be. I don't expect him to be Tyler Perry scoring 16 points a game and four assists and whatever. I He's got realistic expectations for me, but I know the fan base won't. I know a lot of people on the internet are going to chew him up and spit him out, just like I will talk about football later. So I, I think is, uh, if, he, if his vision, his court vision is as good – as they say, I think that's extremely helpful. Um, that's just the key. I mean, I, I, it'll be interesting to see how he fits in right next to a guy like Day Day, and um, you know, because Day Day is is a point guard. I mean, um, and then, I mean, we say Cam. You know, we would think that Cam would come back, but he's improved this season. I'm not saying he's going to go. You know not going to go to the NBA draft, but I mean, he's also been in college for four years. So um, it's going to be interesting to see who stays and who isn't, who goes, um, you know, with this team. I think, I think David Castillo and Dede Ames is more what Jerome Tang wants, similar to what he had at Baylor with, two point guards, two combo guards that can handle the ball, get to the basket, facilitate and score it. You know, Day Day's not the best shooter, but I think David Castillo is a damn good shooter. So we'll see what what that means, but I think it's more the line of what he wants. I agree. I like it. Moving on, Colby Works asks, rank the atmosphere for last night's game versus years past. Matt, you were the only one there, so this is for you. <laughs> oh, man. It's tough. Um, last year, I I felt the atmosphere last year was better, but I also felt the stakes were higher because we were a top 15 team and Kansas was also in the top five. Like, um there was an expectation that we could be competitive in that game and we needed the atmosphere um, to really get us ahead. It was a very, very, very good atmosphere last night. Um, So I thought last year's was better and that does not disparage anything about last night, but I just felt that uh, number one, I didn't believe, I didn't feel last year there was many KU fans in the arena as there was last night. Um, it was a pretty audible, like, hey, you crowd in there at times. Uh, you could tell. Um, I was sitting in the lower bowl compared to last year, though, so I could hear that more than where I was sitting last year. Overall, I mean, Bramwich just is such a, a great atmosphere in these games, like these big games, so it's very hard to rank them. And I'll be biased. I thought 2010 Texas was, or, you know, 2012 KU was loud. So a lot angrier. So the next two questions come from both of your parents. The first one comes from Frank. What is chef's favorite bread recipe? Man. Uh, so 
everybody knows I've been, you know, dabbling in uh, bread making. I have a bread maker that's, you know, about as old as me. What's wrong? Did something happen? You're dabbling. No, it's just my, yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's my dad asking this question. Oh, well, he's a smart man and he knows what he wants to know. Uh, there's a sweet bread setting on there. Elite. You know, you increase the butter ratio, you increase the sugar on there, make a similar to like a brioche. Oh, man. I've made some, uh, you know, fresh made bread for French toast on a Sunday morning. Elite. Elite. It was it was immaculate. So sweet bread, similar to a brioche. I think that's what they were going for. Uh, I kind of just dabbled with the recipe myself. Two e- Actually, one whole egg, an egg yolk, three cups of bread flour, uh, four tablespoons of sugar, uh, four tablespoons of butter, a little bit of salt. Uh, what else did I put in there? Oh, a pack a seven eighth of a packet of yeast. I feel like that is the perfect amount of rise. So it's right, a bread recipe. We're good. <laughs> Your dad wanted to know. I'm giving it to him. <laughs> I'm going to tweet Don't you dare slander Ina Garten. Don't you dare. (laughs) The last question comes from Matt's mom. Debbie, did you join in on the FKU chant your mother wants to know? No, I did not. I did not yell that. The worst thing I probably did was um, probably six or seven rows behind us. There was this KU fan, two fans that continuously yelled rock chalk Jayhawk during free throws. And at the end, I definitely put my middle fingers up at the guy, but that's fine. Right? Like that's doing the Lord's work. That is, that is doing a public service. Exactly. And I had to, because they were very obnoxious in that game, but I did not use the F word in the game. At not one KU, time. I did use it when I was describing what is our offense doing, but that's it. Well, boys and girls, on that note, we are going to record an episode later this week where we're going to talk a little bit more about women's basketball and the football schedule release for the Big 12. We know it's a little bit late, but we've got our thoughts on it. We want to share. So for all of us here at Cocaine Willie, thanks for listening to the show on your podcast feeds or watching us on YouTube. Do us a favor, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcast, leave us a five-star rating and follow the show. And if you're watching on YouTube, give us a like on the video and subscribe to the channel below. We have a quick little PSA, and you've heard of college football realignment. Now what you need to do is get ready for college podcast realignment. And coming soon, there will be a new college sports community, and we are proud to announce that Cocaine Willie will be the official Kansas State University representatives. So stay tuned for that. But that's our little teaser. You'll find out a little bit more, I think, in March and April. But you can follow the show on Twitter or Instagram or follow us individually. I'm at Bob Trollsby. Fireball Matt's at Matt Marchesini. And Chef is at Chef Andre Napier. Chef, take us out. Cocaine's a hell of a drug, baby. We are all coke and no joke. Wildcat country. Let's fucking ride, dude. Let's ride. Sorry, Mom. Let's fucking ride.